Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. Today, uh, we're going to jump off in a teaching series where we're really just focused on some wisdom literature. We're going to jump off with a proverb, and then we're going to go and teach topically around this proverb. I love the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs is especially chapter 10 and on. It's just like short, pithy statements. It's just like, it just hits for me. Like, Brooke really loves the Psalms. They're poetic. They're beautiful. There's a lot of words there. I like Proverbs kind of like grunt a little bit. Like, when you read them, it's just like, don't be stupid. I'm like, yes, that's a word. Like, that's, you know, so, but that's kind of what we're, that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks um, is read through some Proverbs and then jump off from that topically. And so the proverb that we're going to hit today is Proverbs 18. 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. It's not even an option. It's going to happen. I love the Proverbs because uh, really what we believe as Christ followers is that wisdom is from God. So knowledge, you can have head knowledge all day long. You can have head knowledge about who God is, but wisdom is walking with God. You can, like, knowledge will build a house, wisdom will build a home. And what he's telling us right here in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. What you say about a situation, about people, about you, really matters. Because you can cut people down or you can build people up. Your life has been shaped by words spoken to you, over you, about you, and words are not equally weighted, right? How many affirmations does it take to make up for something cutting and negative or sarcastic? We rarely remember the encouraging words almost overwhelmingly. You could speak, you could tell me right now what that kid on the bus said when you were eight years old. You'd be like, I remember I remember what that kid told me on the bus that one time. And so uh, kids get expelled from things they say at school. People get fired for things they say. Divorce, usually initiated by what is said. Murder, most of the time domestic and most of the time initiated by what's said. Wars are started by what people say. That's how powerful our words are. (laughs) That's the reason why it matters. And so our words have the power to give life or our words have the power to take life. And Jesus said this. He affirms this in Luke 6, 45. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of what's inside of you, it begins to come out on the outside of you. And there's just no stopping it. This is the reason why it's really important for you to pray first. This is the reason why it's really important for you. The Bible tells us to keep our heart like with real diligence. Because out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. And sometimes there's a filter. We all have a filter. But sometimes out of the overflow of your heart, you just even get past your filter. Like usually it's with people who are closest to you. Somebody you're in a dating relationship with, your spouse more than likely. People who are you're most comfortable with, your kids, whoever. And you say that thing 
And as you say it, like normally there's that filter there, but as you say it, it's like, oh, snap. Like you said it, and now it's out, and like, what am I going to do? So, And there's no pulling that back in. Once you say it, it hits. I'm telling you, it cuts. You have the power to give life, or you have the power to take it with your words. And so today, I want to talk about this angle on uh, the power of life and death in the tongue when I'm talking about complaining. The whole, the whole idea is stop complaining. How many of us are convicted? Already I am. So uh, stop complaining is our bend on this because we could go any direction. But when I think about complaining in Scripture, I think about uh, the first place my mind goes to is the Old Testament. I think about the chosen people of God. I think about the Israelites as they are led out of Egypt and how God makes every provision. God makes a miraculous uh, way and a redemption narrative for his people by way of sending a uh, reluctant prophet, by way of 10 plagues, and his hand is put on display. Like literally crazy, miraculous things are happening. There's a pillar of fire. There's a pillar of cloud. He's making waters part. People are walking across on dry land. Hey, we're hungry. Bread's falling from heaven. Hey, we're thirsty. Cool, go drink out of that rock. Like they, the, uh, if you read the text, like it's like their clothes never wore out. How crazy is that? They're like, it's just a crazy scene. And But what happens is um, as they're delivered, the thing that they've been waiting on for centuries, uh, the, you know, the deliverance of God, they experience it, but then all they do is complain in the desert. It says this, Exodus 14, 11. Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? We were so happy when we were slaves. That sounds ridiculous, but that's what they said. Now you've brought us out, out of the, uh, now you've brought us out of there. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. It sounds like many of us, when God's moving in our lives, maybe not in the way that we had hoped or in the particular fashion or, or, you know, provision isn't quite what we had expected, but then we just sit around and we complain. And here's what Moses says in response to the people of God. Here's what he says right after this. He says, you're not grumbling against us. Talking about the leaders and the elders of the people of Israel. He's like, hey, we, we didn't, we, this was not our idea. Moses was like, bro, I was good. I was a shepherd. I was just chilling. I was just hanging out. And uh, like, but this was God's idea. Your deliverance was God's idea. His provision was, was God's idea. The, the miraculous way that he brought you out of Egypt was God's idea. You're not grumbling against us. Moses says you're complaining against the Lord. Imagine if every time that we complain, it's not just about our circumstances or the traffic or about another person. But what if in God's eyes, you're actually complaining to God? What are the things you complain about the most? And, you know, if you don't know, ask your spouse, ask like somebody close to you in your life. They'll tell you like, yeah, you complain about this. But I, I, one of the things I complain about, I complain about having to wait on things. We did a series uh, at the beginning of the year called Overflow on Fruit of the Spirit. And um, man, Patience Week, I just felt like I had the least amount of spiritual authority on that week. It's just like a struggle for me waiting on things. I complain about the lack of time that I have to do things. I don't know if this is you, but I'm like, I don't have enough time. I say that pretty regularly. Drives Brooke insane. I don't have enough time. Uh, but often it's misappropriated time or it's a lack of boundaries and it's jacked up priorities. Usually that's what I'm working with. We all have the same amount of time. I'm just not stewarding well my time. But then when I have margin or I have time, like we're getting ready to do sabbatical, usually like if we're just, if we have margin and we're just kind of like relaxing, then I say, I'm bored. I don't know if this happens in your life. I'm like, I'm bored. 
And she's like, shut up. You know, like, I mean, she don't say that, but that's what I would say to myself. She's, and, and so, but we sit around and we complain about all kinds of things. Think about this. How many single people we got here? Single people, raise your hands. Single people, single people, raise your hands loud and proud. Okay, cool. Uh, so, uh, single, when you're in the single season of life, some of y'all are scoping and hoping. Some of y'all are like, hold up. Okay. <laughs> My goodness. No. So, single, but some of you're in a single season of life, you're like, oh, I want to be single and you complain about being single, you get in a serious dating relationship, you complain about the person you're in a dating relationship with, you get married and you complain about your spouse. You know what I mean? That's just the way that, that's the way that works. Um, we complain about money being tight or we don't live in the house that we want or we don't drive the car that we want. And so then you get the job that is required for the house that you desire and the car that you desire. You complain about how much you have to work and how expensive the car is and how the payments are. Like that's what we complain about. We complain about the weather. Like, it's too dry. It needs to rain. It rains. I hate the rain. Like, we're just, it doesn't matter. We're just a ungrateful people. Like, um, man, our kids, for example, uh, it just, it, it reminds me how ungrateful we are. I drifted the same space. So not just my kids, but they're a reflection of me, apparently. So, but just like, you go on a trip, dad, Wi-Fi's not working. Bro, we didn't even have Wi-Fi when I was growing up. We played with sticks. You know what I mean? Like we we played with we played basketball and like we didn't. So, uh, but just little things like kids are getting ready uh, to get out for the summer, and and they'll come home week one about day four or five. I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. And then you give them something to do, and they're like, I don't want to do that. And it's like, and then you're complaining to your spouse like, Why do we have kids? You know, like. The, but I love my children. But but we just complain. We complain. And uh, complaining is one of those things where you always notice it. You always notice other people doing it. You never notice yourself doing it. Like, you're like, man, they complain so much. Meanwhile, you're doing it. Complaining is like bad breath. You only notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth. (laughs) Right? And, and And that's so true. Like, you ever, you ever spend time with people, you're like, surely they know. Somebody has to tell them. People are like slipping them mints or offering them gum on a regular basis. Or it's the complaining is the same way. There's some of us that um, we need someone in kindness to hold truth and love, peace. We need someone to come to us and just say, "Hey, you complain a lot." And I, I need that for me. I need somebody to call me on that. And I, I'm, I'm praying today that the Holy Spirit will call us all on that. What are the areas of our life that we complain? What are the things that we that we struggle with. Um, so the problem is not the weather. It's not the traffic. The problem is not there's nothing to watch. The problem is that we've taken our eyes off of the goodness of God and we've placed our eyes dead center on ourselves. That's the problem that leads to a constant course of complaining is it's about me. You want the antidote for complaining? Get your focus off of you. Get your focus fixed on Jesus. Get your focus in service to others. Get your focus off of you. Because generally when I'm complaining, it's about things that just I don't like. It's a pet peeve. I'm uncomfortable. Uh, I don't like, you know, and I'm focused on me rather than on others. And so today I want to jump off of this Proverb 18:21 passage, and I want to jump straight into a letter written by the Apostle Paul. If there's anyone who had the right to complain, it's Paul. Paul feels called to go to Rome to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, but then he gets stiff-armed by the Holy Spirit, uh, and instead of being able to go to Rome, he ends up in prison. He writes a letter to the church in Philippi, and the floor is damp, and 
hard and cold and the food is terrible and the guy that he's chained to smells bad and this is Paul's space he's waiting execution and then he gives us a letter that's a letter primarily about joy and experiencing the goodness of God in like a really hard space for him not the thing that he would have chosen for himself and yet that's where we find Paul and he gives us a directive around complaining here's what he says in Philippians 2 14 through 15 he says do everything everybody say everything Everything without grumbling or arguing, do everything without complaining. Your, your translation may say that, complaining, so that you may become. Here's how you become. You do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And he says, the children of God, this shift in identity without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. How are you set apart as the people of God? How do you make an impact uh, in your community, at your place of work, in your family? You stop complaining. Like, it's how you speak. Again, there's life and death and the power of the tongue. Paul says, man, how you speak about your situation matters in a huge way. Again, this is a guy writing chained to somebody in prison, and he has a shift in perspective uh, about his situation. Do everything without complaining. And there's a lot of spiritual reasons why we should live without complaining. I want to give you some practical things, too, to think about complaining. Um, There is a guy, Travis Bradbury, Dr. Travis Bradbury. He wrote a a great book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0, where he did research on the idea of complaining. And what he found was that repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do what? More complaining. So you know those people in your life that like, they always, they're like, man, why does everything bad happen to me? Why does it always happen to me? Why is this like, because you keep saying that, bro. Like, that's why, because you're expecting everything bad to happen to you. So everything bad happens to you is something called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is when you expect something to be bad, and therefore you get what you expect. So you were looking for it. You're looking for it. You, you do this with relationships. You do this in a place of work. Again, if your bend is towards being negative, if your bend is toward complaining, you kind of drag it everywhere you go. We do it in the local church, too. So if you've had a church experience, overwhelmingly for us as a church, we, we love this, too, about the call that is on this house to really be a place for people to come experience what they see as health and what they like, man, it feels life-giving. This feels life-giving. And I've had, you know, church hurt and church burn, and we had this happen here. And I'm not saying the landscape is, is pretty uh, diverse in here in terms of people who are just come to faith in Christ or maybe even who are not in, uh, in a relationship with Jesus and then people who've been following Jesus for decades, everything in between. But sometimes with church, we can do the same thing where we have this confirmation bias. Somebody said something to us that one time that offended us, and now we take all of that lived experience to the table when we try biblical community again. So we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be honest. We don't want to make relationships because we've been hurt before. And as soon as we see, hear something slightly off that we don't even agree with, so it's not even that it's not true. It's just that you don't agree with it. We're like, oh, I knew it. Just like the rest of them. Just like I'm writing it off. I'm done. It's like this is your eighth church. How many times can you do that before? Like at some point, it, you are the common denominator. We need to have a conversation around. So it's, it's, it's that confirmation bias that we drag into relationships. For some of us, it's not church. For some of us, it's like, again, because we saw a lot of single people. You're in a dating season of life. God bless you. Where you're just like, you're, you're like, and, and, and what you'll do is you'll have a bad experience with a guy or a girl. And you'll be like, oh. All men are losers. 
oh, all men are so dumb. You know what I mean? All women are so whatever. And we'll just, again, that confirmation bias, and we'll start to complain and, and, and paint a broad brush, paint with a broad brush stroke instead of contextualizing. Really, it's, it's about am I, am I allowing God to change my perspective and my heart, regardless of what I'm going through? Paul, essentially, with the way that he lived and what he would have taught, what I believe he would have said in response to something like this letter that he's writing. Again, there's the authority of Scripture. I'm going to step off of that. I'm going to tell you my opinion about what he would said. He would have said, if there's something negative and you can do something about it, then do something about it. I believe Paul would give us that advice. Hey, if there's things you can do inside of your control, do them. If it's not inside of your control, don't sit around and complain about what you don't have any authority over or what you can't do anything with. If there's negative circumstances, something that's unpleasant, something that's not right, something that you wish you could change and you could do something about it, then do it. If there's something that gives you righteous dissatisfaction, if there's some godly discomfort, if there's something that you look at and say, this isn't right, there's some injustice, injustice or something that you see is wrong, begin to call that out. But he's like, hey, at some point, you're going to hit a ceiling. There's going to be things you, you're not in control of, things that you can't do anything with. Don't complain about it. Don't just put comments on social media about it. Go do something about it if you can. And if you can't, if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. So if, if I can't change, so some things I can change, and if I can't change my circumstances, then I need to change my perspective. Change what you say about it. Change how you think about it. Change what you see in those circumstances. This, to me, is so powerful because Paul says, hey, there's no cap. Doesn't matter where you put me. You can chain me in prison. I'm still going to leverage it. I'm still going to use it. God, how do you want me to use this space to advance your cause, your mission, for my good and your glory? Uh, Paul's waiting his execution. His dream is to preach the gospel in Rome. Here's what he says in Philippians 2, 17 through 18. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I love it because Paul says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, what is that? It's one word. In the original language, it means spendo, just to spend it all. That's what it means. You're being poured out like a drink offering. The priest would have a sacrifice. It'd be a lamb. It'd be a burnt offering. And what they would do is they would take a drink offering, pour it on top of the burnt offering, and it would create, if you, if, for those of you that cook, it's that moment where you, you have the meat in the skillet or whatever, you pour a little bit of, you know, some kind of liquid in there, some, some uh, white wine or some, you know, whatever, and whatever you cook with. And, and it's that moment for the priest, and they're pouring wine or they're pouring honey a lot of times because honey was expensive, whatever was expensive. And they would pour it over this, and then the aroma was pleasing. The whole idea is to be an offering to God. And Paul says, that's my life. My life is a drink offering. And, and when he says my life is being poured out, some people will interpret that passage as saying, yeah, because Paul gives his life for the gospel. He dies, he dies for what he believes in. That's his life being poured out. But that's not what he's saying. Because what he's saying in this passage, is, it's, the verb is a passive present tense verb. It's saying even if I'm being poured out or as I'm being poured out, not even one day I'm going to be poured out like when I'm dead. He's like, this is a thing that I'm doing daily. And Paul's saying, I die to myself daily. That's my, that's my drink offering. 
my agenda, my goals, my ambitions, duh, on paper. I go to Rome. All roads lead to Rome. Why are we not doing this in Rome? This is so crazy. Why do you have me in prison writing this church, writing this church in Philippi? Like, that's where I would be in my flesh. But Paul says, you know what? Instead of complaining about my situation, I'm going to choose to see my situation as an opportunity to share the gospel with people. I'm going to leverage where you put me to advance your cause, to advance your mission. Here's what's so cool about Paul's perspective. We read this letter 2,000 years later because of his shift in perspective has absolutely nothing to do with his context. If anything, context is more impressive. This dude's in prison, write us a letter about joy. That's insane. And so uh, that's, that's what we see in this passage. Pour out my life, pour it out, the sacrifice of my life as a drink offering. And, and he was talking about um, giving his life over daily. And so Roman, this is, what, um, this is what Paul says elsewhere in Romans 12.1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. And so he says, hey, die daily. Die to the flesh daily. So spend some time in prayer. Get a word from God. You're going to have an opportunity. You're going to be in some situations that you can't control. Again, if you can make a change and, 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 and you know, control some of the variables, great. Address what you can address. But sometimes you're just chained up to a brother uh, you know, in prison, and you can't do anything about your situation. And so he's like, change the way that you think about it in that space. Paul saying, worship every single day. How is it that Paul can be in prison, chained up to a Roman soldier, and offer praise and worship to God? And here's what I think. For Paul, he was not the center of his own story. It wasn't about Paul. If nobody's ever told you this, somebody needs to tell you this. If you don't spend any other time in church, it's not about you. It's not about you. And, and some of us, because this is all that broader culture tells us, this is all, I mean, literally, this is what we get hit. Every marketing scheme, everybody's like, man, have it your way when you want to have it. You do what you want to do when you want to do it. Everything is subjective, and it's kind of postmodern idea of like, yeah, just what, like, no. It, Paul's like, negative, die to self. Like, I'm literally, that's, that's the way forward in Christ. Set aside my flesh and my agenda. I want what God wants for me. It's better than what I want for myself. Paul could change his perspective about it in such a way that would impact what God was able to do through his negative circumstance. This is what he says in Philippians 1, 12 through 13. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I'm in jail. This is still working. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And I love this because Apostle Paul's like, listen, you put me in prison, I'm going to bring Jesus to the prison. He says this, he says, it's become clear. Everybody knows why I'm here. The whole palace guard, you think I'm a prisoner? Let me tell you who the real prisoner is. This joker who's chained to me eight hours a day. I get fresh meat, virgin ears every single day. I get a new message. I get to tailor. His brother's chained up to me. I get to tell him about Jesus for eight hours, a captive audience, a little mini revival. Like I, I lo- so Paul's like, listen, whatever. Like Everybody here knows what I'm about. And so you've got no idea how God is using what others would see as a negative to advance the gospel in your life. So in other words, the things that you're going through, the hard things, the broken spaces and places, the really hard things we navigate, uh, your, your thought is, this is not my plan. 
I didn't plan on this financial hardship. I didn't plan on this relationship uh, falling through. I didn't plan on my marriage to look the way that it does. I didn't plan on this part with my kids and the relationship I have with my kids. I did not plan on getting this call. I did not plan on this sickness. I did not plan on that loss. And yet, um, in that, shift your perspective and be like, I know that my God works all things to bring about good according to his purpose to those who love him and are called by his power. I can see God doing something even in this broken space. And, and, and I don't know who, who needs this. We all need this today. I don't know who needs it more than others. But if you're in a place you don't like, you recognize God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. God still has an assignment. And it may not be what you choose, but it's exactly what you need. Matter of fact, the, the, the times that I've had spiritual breakthrough are, if I would have written it out on paper, I would not have written it out the way that it played out. Like I would, I would not, everybody's good. Everybody's good. I would not have written down like, I would not have mapped out for my life the hard things that I had to navigate, but it was only in that space of brokenness that God really got my attention. Like, that's the way God gets a hold of us. So some of us are praying away things where God's like, no, I really would love to meet you in this space if you would die to self already. If you would really surrender, just go all in. I would love to meet you in this space. And it builds an intimacy, and it builds an affection for him, and it builds a worship. It builds a dependency uh, to, to be in that. It's a hard space to be, but that's where God does some of his greatest work. So what are you chained to? Maybe it's a hard season in your marriage. Maybe it's a job situation you're just unsure of. You got a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. It could be you're chained to a financial problem in the middle of a hole that you don't know how you're going to get out of. It could be a health issue, whatever. If you could do something about it, do something about it. If you could do something about it, do something about it. If you can pray, pray. If you can work hard, work hard. If you can get counseling, get counseling. If you can seek help, seek help. If you can get wisdom, get wisdom. If you can do something about it, do something about it. And if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. Rather than complaining about something you cannot change, choose to see God's presence and his power, even in the middle of something that you would have not have asked for for yourself. So I can look for some sign that God is going to use me in this hard, this hard place. And so I, I may be a little more dependent on the goodness and the grace of God because of the thing that I'm going through. I may, be, uh, I may pray more passionately. You know, your prayer life comes alive, alive when, when hard things happen. Like, that's when you pray. It's sad. We, don't, we want to pray first culture, but honestly, it's just hard. We've got to die to flesh in that area. And we're not dependent on God until we really are dependent on God. It's that prayer that you have right before you get in a car wreck and you see the car coming. It's like, oh, God. Like, it's that prayer. It's a prayer. But it's like, oh, save me. If you pray hard when Pilate gets on. It's like, hey, we had an engine go out and we we're going to land. It's like, all right, Lord Jesus. Like, you're praying. Because you're, when your life's at stake, hard, you get news, hard news, or really broken moments of your life is when prayer breaks through. And you have a dependency on God in that place that you did not have when everything was going well. When you had money, when you had resources, when you had the relationships, when you had the job, when you had the health, when you had everything, were you dependent? Not like you were when it was hard. Paul, he prays and he asks God to take this thorn away. And, and God's telling him, hey, Paul, that thorn's there for a reason. You are dependent. You're dependent on me in a way that you wouldn't be 
if that wasn't there. I'm telling you, the hard things are there for a reason. So if you can't change your circumstance, begin to change your perspective about how God can use it. And so I love what he says in Philippians 2.17. Again, he says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, even if. And I love the phrase, even if. Even if at this moment I'm being poured out, even if that I've wanted to accomplish uh, taking the gospel to Rome, even if I, get, I never get the thing that I've prayed for and desired for my whole life, even if I don't get it, even if I've only got days to live on this earth, he says, I will rejoice. Why? Because in the middle of this thing that I never would have asked for, I could see a glimpse of the goodness of God. He's still using me. He's still in me. He's still working through me. He's still good. Even though I never would have asked for this, God is still God. He is still good. Every good and perfect gift in my life, everything I have to be grateful for, the salvation alone, the redemption, the forgiveness that Jesus offers is worth all of it, Paul says. Everything else is just kind of icing. And so I don't know what it'd be for you, but it might be that if you could continue to suffer, uh, it can, you continue to suffer in your body. The thought is, I'll still praise God. Even if your migraines never go away, continue to declare his goodness. Even if uh, you're still crying yourself to sleep over that miracle, fall asleep praying because you believe in the goodness and the power of God. Even if you continue to look for the job and you never find vocationally the thing that you've prayed for, if it doesn't come to pass the way that you want it to, even if they let you go, whatever it is, still trust in the goodness and the character and the nature of God, even if. How do you do it? You do it just like Paul does. You recognize that you're not the center of the story. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God desires to do through us. And there's certain things inside of our control. Because there's some of us, we sit around and we complain about the childhood that we have, or we complain about uh, our you know, lack of resources or our lack of opportunity or where we grew up or our lack of education. Or we sit around and complain about things instead of what can I actually do? And if I could do something, stop complaining. Like instead of complaining, a lot of times the people who can't help me, why don't I go straight to the source? This is a word for some of us. We complain and it drifts to a space of gossip because we're going to people who are not the source instead of like biblical conflict is like if I have a frustration, a lot of times it's relationally, it could be a boss, it could be a peer, it could be a, a family member, but just going to them and just navigating that complaint rather than talking about it to everybody who can't do anything with it. That's unbiblical. But also sometimes you just can't do anything about your situation. Sometimes you're just chained up to a dude. And it's like, so, so sometimes it's just like, what can I do with what I've got, what I'm working with? And let me shift my perspective Instead of having a confirmation bias of like, man, oh, my life is terrible, and I got beat with rods, I got snake bit, and I got shipwrecked, and I got, you know, instead of being like that, he's like, you know what? I got this. I'm going I'm to use this. Like, I'm about to preach to all these people. They're going to leave here knowing what I'm about, and I'm, I'm going to evangelize this prison for the sake of Jesus. And so realizing that it's not about you. And when Jesus is the center of your story, it changes how you let your story be told. When you change your perspective like this, you can endure and you can be a light in the middle of the darkest day. Instead of it, look at this terrible thing that happened to me. It becomes, look how amazing my God is in the midst of this brokenness and hard place of my life. I love that. And it's so cool. Like the best testimonies are people who are like right in the middle of hard things. I mean, it's people who, who lost a loved one and they're like, God is good. You're like, yeah, but you're, 
your little girl just passed away, and it's like God is good. People who have people who have uh, who were born or people who developed some some form of being disabled, and they're like, "Yep, God is amazing." It's like those those are the testimonies that hit the hardest, and because it's not about their comfort. Again, they realize who they are. They're not the center of the story. It changes how you let your story be told when you shift your perspective. I love what King David says in the Old Testament. David had uh, a bend towards, just like we all do, complaining. You see that show up in Scripture. But there was this passage that's so powerful where David says this. He says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. Let everything in me give praise to God. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. David gets back to a place of gratitude, back to a place of praise, back to a place of adoration and worship. Why? Because he takes inventory of all the good things that God has done. Here's what his list looks like. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and mercy. What does my God do? He fills me with life and good things. Let all that I am praise the Lord is what David says. And, and Paul Paul would, would echo that same praise even if, even if my greatest prayer is never answered, even if I never get out of this situation that I wish I was not in, I will still praise my God because he's good. He never leaves me. His presence is with me. His power is in me, and therefore I will praise him with everything that I have. And my question to close this out today is, where are we at when it comes to complaining? Do you view your life are you, the, are you the star of the show? Is it all about you? And if it is, you have a bend towards complaining. Do you realize that you play a part in a greater narrative so much bigger than the part that you and I play? And we get an opportunity to join God in the renewal of all things. And that just means that your, your people, your, your family and your friends and the people in the locker room, people in the boardroom, people all over, that we get an opportunity to, to speak life over or we can, we can speak death over those situations. Stop complaining. Stop complaining. Where you can make a difference, make a difference. Where you see an opportunity for growth, lean into that. But man, at some point, you have to shift your perspective and say, God, would you help me to see them the way that you see them? Man, that is like, imagine you're in prison and you're ridiculed and you're mocked, beat, you're waiting execution, and you have a heart and a passion and a desire to serve the person that you're chained to. How crazy is that? It's available. Again, two things that empower the Apostle Paul, and I think it, it can empower us. It can help us to speak life over people. It can keep us from complaining. Two things. One is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus was so real to Paul. He met Jesus, so he's like, look, it's wild, but it's worth everything. Like, I literally met him. Like, we're good. Like, every, whatever. Like, I met him. So the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, and that's the moment of our salvation when you and I see Jesus, uh, you know, in, um, in who he is in relationship to who we are. And so, but also the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul is where he is. One, because he's experienced the resurrected Christ. Two, because he's empowered. Same spirit that brought, brought Jesus up out of the grave is resided in the Apostle Paul, giving him over to things he couldn't do in the flesh. And you and I are giving over to the same things if we would die to the flesh. You and I have to die daily. What is my agenda? What do I need to surrender? Where does my life not align with what God wants from me? And I need to set it to the side because I want all that he wants from me. And it looks different for every single one of us. 
That's, that's the crazy thing, is the things you got to die in are different from the things I got to die in. And the areas of my flesh that I struggle in are different from the areas of your flesh you got to struggle in. But I got to submit, I got to surrender so that I can experience all that God has for me. So I want you to pray and think through that as we step into this Soma Summer series and just say, God, would you speak to us through your word? Would you give us over to wisdom, not knowledge about, but really I want to walk with you. I want, I want my life to reflect a relationship with you. And I want to have the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. And, and, and so that's what God wants for us this summer. I believe that's what God wants for us today. If you're here, you struggle in this area, like so many of us struggle in this area, just see yourself not as the star of the show, but man, put Jesus at the center of your life. Make it about him. Wrap your agenda, surrender your will to what he wants for you. And he'll begin to give you over to, again, speaking life over people. The Bible tells us he'll make you shine like stars in dark places. That's our hope. That's our prayer. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us, God. Grateful that you give us your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would tailor uh, this message you already have to our individual needs. You know what we brought in the room. You know what we carry. You know what hurts and painful things we've navigated, insecurities, fears, anxieties that we have. And anywhere we feel that, it's not the presence of God. You desire to give us over to freedom. You, you desire to give us over to deliverance. You desire to give us over to joy. And again, um, not in getting what we want, but in getting what you want for us. And so would we, like the Apostle Paul, would we pour our lives out like a drink offering daily? not making it about ourselves, but God making it about you, setting our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, setting our eyes on Jesus, but also God, give us over to a heart and a perspective for others that is supernatural. Give us over to a mission alignment. Give us over to a desire to do your will, not our will, that will that's supernatural. And so would you, would you by your spirit just reveal all those areas of inconsistency right now? God, would you just in a loving way, remind us of all the things that we're missing, all the things that we've missed the mark or we're just, we're, we're not doing the things that you've asked us to do. And God, would you give us over to a place of repentance, change our heart, change our perspective. If you're here and, and you hear us talk about the Apostle Paul, his experience with Jesus, the risen Jesus, you've never had a moment where you fully surrendered your life to Christ in the way that Paul has surrendered his life to Jesus, a moment where he sees and realizes that he's standing in front of a risen Savior. It, salvation is the moment you realize who you are in relationship to Jesus. And I'm broken, and I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I don't need just a Savior. I need a Lord. So I can't determine, I can't determine God's will for my life. He's already set a will and a path for my life. He's already given me instruction in his word and by his spirit. He'll give me application for what he's already said. But I got to surrender. I got to pour out my life like a drink offering. God, I die daily. And I realize that I've just been so selfish and I've been complaining. I've been making it about myself. God, would you just help me to make it about you and others? I want to love you and love others. So Jesus, if you're here uh, and you want to give your life to Jesus and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want the hope that he, that he paid for in the cross. He, take, he took every past sin, present sin, future sin. It's already been paid for. But the moment of your salvation is a moment of surrender. Bible tells us that when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he is who he says he is, 
that you experience salvation. If God's been working on you in this season or if this is your moment of salvation and surrender, with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just lift your hand in the room and say, that's for me. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need the hope that I can find in him, only him. I want to experience salvation today. If that's you, just lift your hand. I see your hand in the back. Is there anybody else? Amen. Is there anybody else? Awesome. Right, just between you and God, and we can all pray this together because we all need it. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for offering forgiveness of sins. Jesus, I thank you that you are both the fullness of grace and truth. So, man, you offer me grace as my Savior. But, God, would you give me over to your truth as my Lord? Would you lead me moving forward? Would you direct my steps by your word and by your spirit. Help me to really surrender. Pour my life out as a drink offering. Die daily in the areas I need to die to become who it is you want me to become. See everything as an opportunity not to gripe, not to complain, but as an opportunity to reflect you. Help me to shine like a star in dark places. God, help me to not speak death over situations or people, but always be life-giving and encouraging. God, help there be much fruit as a result of the things that I speak over my children, over the things that I speak over my spouse, over the things that I speak over my coworkers, over the things that I speak over my community, over the things that I speak over my life. God, help me to just bear much fruit. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.